Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. We are back with the second episode in the Humankind in Counseling. Uh, we had finished the first episode of Humankind in Counseling, really just establishing a secular uh, worldview for anthropology. In this episode, we want to focus on a biblical uh, anthropology and establish that and then just work on discussing the differences. So don't want to waste any time, but definitely want to say hello. Shauna, yeah, how are you? Hello, everybody. Jeremy, how you guys doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? Oh, no. <laughs> I had to get my wise guy going. All right. Um, Something that I hear all the time and how you're going to be blessing our audience with that, huh? Oh, man. Shauna, what you hear at home. Like, yeah she even like does this uh and i still can't get used to it oh pastor mike pastor mike <laughs> <laughs> would you be should you be saying that pastor mike that's right that's right i get i get the behind the scenes pastor mike <laughs> yeah anyway all right cool so we're gonna get going here um so kicking us off and again uh this is chapter nine still Yes, sir. Uh, that we're going to be going through and uh, talking about the biblical worldview of anthropology. Uh, so, Jeremy? So I think the, the starting place always for a, a biblical understanding of anthropology, and, and Mike, you can probably speak a lot into this, is the whole uh, concept of the Imago Dei. Right. Um, being created in the image of, of God himself. Uh, I think that's a very important aspect of the differences between how we view people and how secular folks view people. So uh, you were mentioning something earlier about the Imago Dei, and yep. I'd love for you to mention or share with the audience what you were talking to me about earlier today. Yeah, the, uh, well, just um, Jerry and I were just kind of talking before we started recording, just uh, just kind of talking about the differences um, in anthropology. Uh, so from a biblical worldview, uh, basically from the Imago Dei, which is really drawn from Genesis 126 and 127, uh, which uh, just really quick, I'll read that scripture. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. Um, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That's getting into verse 28. But uh, really the piece of what I was kind of pressing into in that conversation with Jeremy was just the idea of looking at the image of God or the Imago Dei, not necessarily as a noun, but as a verb, as in we are imaging back to, uh, you know, reflecting back to God the very things of in terms of who he is from a creaturely perspective that we are imaging the things of who God is from a creaturely perspective. So uh, just kind of getting in the idea, excuse me, getting into the idea of worship and, and giving him right reverence and just knowing what it means to act righteously, revere our neighbor and just kind of getting into those those ideas. Um, but unfortunately, obviously, with Genesis three, which Jeremy gets into that in his book um, and just the fall and just what happened to the Imago Dei. Mm -hmm. So. So, so we're created in the image of God, and we're also created in relation to God. And yeah, this is good. a huge point for a, a biblical counseling model. So if we're created in relation to God, then this whole idea, which is big in our current culture, it's definitely pushed by uh, secular psychology, is this idea of autonomy. That somehow humanity, one of our great pursuits as human beings, according to the culture, is uh, acquiring more and more and operating more and more out of this sense of autonomy. 
yeah. uh, out of the sense of, of myself and the freedom that I have in my own identity and being. But when you look at humanity from a biblical perspective and the idea that we're created in relation to God, we're not autonomous. We're con- Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, everything that we want is always in relation to a holy God. Mm-hmm which brings a whole different dynamic to the human exi- to human existence than oh, yeah. what we find in the secular community. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so um really just kind of getting into establishing the imago dei which is, you know, concretely speaking the that that's the essence of uh the difference, right? Um where last episode when we were talking about just humanism in their view of anthropology uh, in the it or the superego and just the idea that um, it's human-centric where this is the idea that this is God-centric. That's correct. Yeah, and so huge difference, huge implications, uh, which obviously have a huge implication, obviously, in culture, um, but even when we get into the counseling room as well and we start talking with people about uh, things that they're dealing with in their circumstances and helping them rightly determine how to view their circumstances in light of who they are in Christ mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, where we draw everything from. That's that's our center, and then we just, you know, we expand from that. That's where, correct. Uh, obviously, the other view uh, would start with man and end with man. Matter yep. of fact, God is, God is dead. The uh, taboo of the S word, yes. sin, yes. Um, and just that idea of when you're operating under a humanistic worldview, uh, to anthropology, there is no such thing as sin. It's a disease or a disorder. It's it's something that's biologically a problem, or it's a, an external uh, something that's coming against uh, man, as it were. There's nothing inherently wrong with man internally. It's all an external problem. Would you agree with that, Jeremy? I would totally agree with that. Okay, that the idea of mental illness is always, and and all the things that are associated with that is always, at least for the most part in our culture, uh, driven by the disease model. Yeah. And so if a person is is said to be having a manic episode and commits adultery on their spouse, uh, the secular community would uh, attribute that action ultimately and exclusively to the manic episode and bipolar. Whereas Mm. a biblical individual would not ignore what might be going on in the brain, but we would also recognize that that act was not neutral in the universe. Right. It was still an act that was a violation against what God is, has called us to as people in marriage. Uh, and I also want to make sure, you know, that in, in our understanding of sin, right. we, we make a huge mistake as biblical counselors if we only attribute sin to behavior. Yeah. That's a big mistake. Uh, we want to take a, a more biblical approach to that construct of sin by recognizing that it, it is, in its own right, a spiritual disease within the human soul. Right. And it has profound influence, uh, even for the believer. It doesn't have control over us anymore, mm-hmm. uh, but it still has influence on us, and it can influence the way we think, it can influence what we want, it can yep. influence what we say, and even uh, the way that we're feeling. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Um, and then so with, you know, obviously from a biblical worldview on anthropology, uh, when we look at sin, you know, obviously we look at it um, very seriously. Uh, we understand, Jeremy, to your point, it's not the behavior necessarily. I mean, obviously we want to try to work towards correcting that behavior, but it's more of a, a, a root cause approach. We want to go to the mm-hmm. root of the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the, you know, the whole adage of root to fruit type deal is, 
yeah, we can we can deal with the behavior on some level, but we're we we want to try to determine what's what's the root of it, which we know the root cause of everything is sin, and if that's our basis and we start there, that's great. But then from there, okay, what does that necessarily mean to this particular individual, and what's their propensity, you know, in this you know area of sin or that area of sin, and and then you know how does that impact their circumstances, and do they do they understand? Uh, their heart and getting again understanding that anthropology of who they are and knowing and again this goes back to that image of God and imaging him correctly and helping them restore that image and understanding that image mm-hmm. um, so that's really you know just from a you know in terms of drawing differences uh, you know where again these worldviews have implications and I, I like what you said uh, there's no neutrality in that that this isn't a purposeless thing. Uh, right, like there's there, there's meaning and, and value, um, and, and there's a reason for things happening. It's just not this blind, pitiless indifference uh, that that's happening in us and around us. So you know, and, and I think it's helpful too. Uh, you know, when when we're talking about just kind of you know philosophically speaking, the differences between the two, um, and then just helping helping our our brothers and sisters in Christ, obviously as Christians understand where we give it thought. Like we, we actually take time to do our due diligence and educating ourselves on these different views versus just kind of having this emotional response to things mm-hmm. where we don't want to, Oh, they, that, you know, that's just the unbeliever. Oh, that's just a, you know, that's a secular worldview. Yeah, it is. And it's incorrect, but we have to realize that that comes into our counseling room and, and you know, and we have to be able to respond accordingly and it's just yeah. dealing with the state of that, the, the human heart in that respect. Yeah. So, and I want to, I want to point to Christ in this whole conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, when you don't allow sin to be a part of the worldview, then definitely he gets left out. Yep. He's, he's not even a factor, Right. but he had a perspective on this too, which is where we draw our, our theological understanding of, of humanity. So in Matthew six twenty four. Uh, he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And in the context, he was talking about money, but I th- I think the principle here can be uh, generalized far beyond just an issue with money. Uh, but I want to highlight something here. Christ is talking about human affection, what we want, what we love, uh, Something similar in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But notice the graphic language he uses as it regards our in relation to God, moment-by-moment reality. He said, in my affections, if I choose to love this master, then it exposes hatred towards another master. And that's a functional thing. You know, as Christians, our master, our Lord, our ruler is God, period. But on a functional level, I can allow... A, a love or a desire for my wife's respect or affirmation or sexual relationship, I can love that and want that to the point that if it creates sin in my life or if I give myself permission not to love her if she's not giving those things to me, that in that horizontal interaction with my wife where she's not giving me what I really, really want and I've allowed that to begin to master my soul in the moment, on a functional level. Yep. According to the words of the architect of the soul, the redeemer of the universe, Jesus himself, he tells me when I do that, I have just committed an, a vile act of hatred towards God. That's huge. That's Christ's perspective. That I, in, in my horizontal life, based on what I'm choosing to love most in that moment, I'm either loving God or hating him, 
I'm either glorifying him or committing cosmic war against him. That's a totally different perspective than what we find in the secular world. And I do want to say this. Here's the glorious thing. Today I will do that. Today I will commit an act of hatred against God. I will. But as I'm doing that, the gospel tells me that he's pouring his mercy out upon me. And because I'm united with Christ, even in my act of hatred, he's treating me as though I'm loving him perfectly. And Mm. that's, that's the gospel. Puts a huge weight on it. Um, just want to speak into that a little bit too. John uh, eight thirty four. Jesus answered them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So mm. if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed." Beautiful. Um, that literally just crystallizes everything. Mm-hmm. We we're just kind of discussing about the reality of sin, and that, and again, that goes back to the idea of there is no neutrality, like. Right. As far as what you read is who are masters, you can't serve two masters. Like we're, e- we're either serving the flesh or we're serving uh, the spirit, you know, uh, and, and in that spirit there is freedom. That's mm-hmm. where Christ is. And so, yes. It, yes. and again, that's always, that's always our aim in the counseling room where the difference in what we're talking about with the other worldview, a secular humanistic worldview on in, in their anthropology is, no, there is no such thing as sin. Just find the best you like, like mm-hmm. let's try to actualize who you are, who, whatever that may be. It's not up to me to tell you whether that's right or wrong. It's up for you to determine who you are and whatever that means. That's right. That's right. Those are two completely, uh, antithetical views. Um, well, and, and the views that we were talking about on the last episode of kind of the, um, you know, with Carl Rogers and, and all of them where, you know, they really counsel in a way that they pass the blame, you know, and try to identify even outside sometimes right of themselves. And mm-hmm. so, but as I'm hearing you guys talk, I think about those that have even taken ownership of the sin of saying, I know that I'm sinning if I divorce my husband. Like I know that mm-hmm. I'm sinning. They'll even mm-hmm. own it, but still, He'll forgive me. So what do you say to those? So in those kind of situations, Mm -hmm. I think it's our responsibility to let them know that that whole mindset in and of itself is is a sign of rebellion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And it's really stomping on the good grace of our Lord to say, I know it's wrong. He'll forgive me. So therefore, I'm going to do it anyway which I've, I've, I've witnessed that. And so I think it's, it's just, it's our job to speak the truth, right? In yep. love mm-hmm. and, um, and then depend upon the Holy Spirit to do what he chooses to do in that person's heart. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just like in, in professional counselors, you know, sin was a forbidden word to say. And, mm-hmm. and now we're saying from a biblical, you know, model that it's, it's something that you can't ignore. But I had heard that there was other words like forgiveness. That was something that was forbidden to say. Is there history in that? Yeah. So my initial topic for my dissertation before I changed it was on forgiveness. And so I, I did go through the whole process of the literature review where I read a lot on forgiveness within psychology. And early on, because forgiveness had a so much connection with Christianity, researchers would not allow forgiveness to be a construct that was studied that could be published in a first-tier journal. It was forbidden. But counselors kept dealing with people who were offended and needed to forgive. And so what happened is the secular community came up with several very prominent, uh, four or five prominent models of forgiveness that all are very different from how we would understand forgiveness from a biblical perspective, all very emotionally laid so that forgiveness at the end of the day, you have to work through all of your emotions. And if that takes four years, when you finally don't have negative emotions against your offender, you're ready to forgive. Mm -hmm. Where Jesus in Luke 17 said, 
If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins seven times in the same day and comes back to you and repents seven times, you must forgive. So there's not a whole lot of time there to process emotions. Forgiveness is a promise. And then on that promise, promising the other person, I'm not going to hold, I'm going to treat you as though you haven't done this to me. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we forget it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we're still going to struggle with emotions after forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So I can forgive you and still have some struggle with some anger. Mm-hmm. But, but forgiveness is the foundation on which I work on my anger. Right. That's, uh, That's so interesting because just in hearing you kind of separate the difference, my interpretive lens and that immediately goes to in the view of, you know, secular, a secular approach to that is emotions ultimately are my ultimate truth. Mm -hmm. And and, and until you can work through that, you can't technically forgive anybody where a biblical worldview is like, no, feelings don't, that's not ultimate truth. Yes. It may speak to something and have an mm-hmm. effect towards something, but that's not the truth necessarily. Exactly. So we'll work through that later, but here's what you're commanded to do because this is what the authority of Christ says, and here's what I, this is how I need to respond and obey in, in, in doing that. Correct. So it's interesting. And it's fair. It's it's pretty cool to see the disciples' response when he put that on them. Cause they were they, like, really, Lord? Yeah, really? <laughs> you, God, you're going to have to give us more faith. That's basically what they said. So that's a human response, but we yeah. want to guide people well mm-hmm. to let them know that uh, there's something beautiful and freeing and glorifying to the Lord when we choose to forgive, even in the midst of emotional pain. Yeah, that's that's good. That's uh, that's really good. So really, we're we're at the we're at the point now where we want to uh, wrap up this episode from discussing the differences between these two views, and then um, just get into the next episode here uh, in just a moment, uh, where we'll be talking about new heart, new life, which is the second part in the human kind of counseling, which will be chapter ten in Jeremy's book. So we look forward to uh, discussing that next time. <laughs>